Tell us a little bit about what you saw and, and, and being able to relay that message to Cora when you watched Kimbrel pitch and, and kind of help out so he wasn't uh, tipping his pitches. So tipping pitches, we hear about it all the time. People at home understand what tipping pitches is all about. It's amazing. Man. And that's remarkable. Alex, are you ready to talk about actual baseball things today? I'm ready to talk about actual baseball things today. It's going to be a rare day for us. I didn't even know you were actually starting. I thought I thought you were still doing the bit. Nope, no more bit. The podcast is rolling. Are you ready? <laughs> I'm ready as I'll ever be. We're talking about Justin Verlander and his third MLB career no-hitter. Woo! JV Power Hour. We're going to do two hours on just Justin Verlander and his legacy. Are you ready to go? <laughs> I'm so down. Two hours on Justin Verlander and his tight pants that go down exactly to his ankles. That's it. Nothing more, nothing less. Yep. I'm I'm down to do it. What do you think about Justin Verlander's third career no-hitter? Is he the pitcher of our generation? I'm going to get in as many sports talk radioisms as I can. This is our tryout. Yeah, yeah, for real. We're really just diving headlong into this. Is he the pitcher um, of our generation? That's the question on the table here, Alex. Look, I th- I mean, okay, you look at the scorebook and you see nine innings and you see no hits. And that's great. And that's <laughs> the awesome. Scorebook. But what the score, what the <laughs> box score, whatever. <laughs> Facts don't matter. <laughs> what the what the box score doesn't tell you is that he was a real gamer out there. A hundred percent. He seriously, was so, he just gritted he showed through so much every grit. single pitch. <laughs> uh, I can't I can't get through it with a straight face. Like this is why I'd never be good on talk radio. All seriousness though, Justin Raylander, nine innings, no hits, 14 Ks. Garrett Cole, the very next day, six innings, 14 Ks. Alex, we're keeping the sports talk radio theme. Are the Astros the World Series favorite? <laughs> <laughs> Jesus Christ. We can't keep in character. We're doing a really bad job. <laughs> um, yes, they are. It's, it feels very likely they're going to win the World Series. Uh, Justin Furlander keeps getting better with age, and it's kind of really like not fair. And it's especially not fair in this moment where like pitchers seem to be putting like more stress on their arms, like than ever before, right? Like the throwing harder than ever. Um, you see a lot of young arms succumb to injury more than ever. And I really don't get why there are just certain pitchers, these workhorses, so to speak, that just like... That was good. Yeah, thanks. Point one up for the, uh, yeah. Yeah, the sports arc radioisms. <laughs> I just don't get how a guy like Justin Verlander keeps getting better and better. Can you explain this to me, please? Because I don't know. No, I I can't explain it to you because I was just about to ask you that same question is like, how is he improving and improving and improving when it felt like for a couple of years there, he was dead in the water. And I guess you could say that a lot of that was like lingering injuries that the Tigers weren't taking care of. And this sort of like workhorse mindset that you're talking about, where he was probably trying to pitch through a lot of injuries. And once he kind of came out on the other side of that, he had a couple of years where the Tigers were down. He wasn't pitching 230 innings every year. And then also you have to factor in the Astros data and the way that they treat pitchers and pitch usage and how they've been able to kind of like get the most out of all of their guys. I mean, you and I got into a, a little bit of an ar- a, a small argument about Aaron Sanchez a couple weeks ago, but there is a lot of reality to a lot of this stuff. It's like 
when you take the cream of the crop and put them in the hands of the Astros R&D department, it's like, well, what can they do with it? It's, it's really fun to watch. It's like, what can they do with these guys and how much can they really get out of them? Um, and, and that's something that I've been kind of yelling about with Garrett Cole for quite a while now. Is he's like just my favorite baseball player to watch besides Mike Trout. And I guess besides <laughs> Fernando Tatis and Ronald Acuna, these guys that you see more more frequently who are electrifying. But watching a Garrett Cole start is like, it's probably my favorite thing to do in baseball right now. And I'm saying all of that, knowing that like, it's almost just as fun to watch a Justin Verlander start. So I'm really excited to like, as we approach the playoffs to, to really see who they match up with. And I'm rooting for a Yankees Astros matchup like early on or at any point really, but just to kind of see if like all of the big top conversations that we've been having about how is the role of starting pitching changing? Is it more about hitters than ever? Is the ball really so juiced that it doesn't matter who's pitching? All of that stuff. It'll be really interesting to see if like the Astros just come in and they're like, actually, if you never make contact with the ball, it doesn't matter. The the new market inefficiency is that all the other players aren't also on the Astros. Can you imagine just if the Astros just ran baseball? Like, do you think that'd just be a better product than than right now? Like if every team had access to the Astros resources and like we're getting the most out of their players. Like uh, like every other team should just like go in with the Astros owners, trade all the players, and then you've got like the Astros A team versus the Astros B team. <laughs> yeah. It's like Spanish League soccer where there's only like three teams that are good and yeah. the rest of them are like training grounds for those teams next year. <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly. Um, okay. We are going to get into a little bit more of a tipping pitches vibe with an interesting segment led by Alex Baisley about baseball conspiracy theories. Um, but before we do that, I'm Bobby Wagner. I'm Alex Baisley. And this is Tipping Pitches. Okay, we've put it off long enough, Alex. It's time for Conspiracy Theory Hour. Lead the way. All right, I'm, I'm excited for this. Just because, you, you know, you and I love to go down these, these holes. And once we get in them, it's, it's very hard to get out. And that's why we just usually turn them into segments on the podcast. Can you take the listener behind the, behind the curtain first? Explain why you wanted to do this as a segment and what you were doing that wasn't interesting enough to hold your attention so that you started down this rabbit hole of baseball conspiracy <laughs> theories. <laughs> um, okay. Well, this actually started in a very uninteresting way. Uh, fellow baseball tweeters and uh, newsmakers, Cespedes Family Barbecue, tweeted out following the A's uh, losing back-to-back games in walk-off fashion against the Yankees this weekend that uh, that A's fans can take solace in the fact that Jeremy Giambi was in fact safe at the plate during Derek Jeter's famous flip during the ALDS back in 2001. Uh-huh. So that's obviously true. He was safe. Um, but it got me thinking about other conspiracy theories around baseball, whether they're on field related to the game itself or, or related to the structure of the game or just really bizarre stories that have floated around that you may or may not have heard of. And so I, I started researching. I started going on forums. I started, I started pulling up listicles. I love me a good listicle. And, uh, and I pulled together some of my favorite ones, some I'd heard of and, and some that I hadn't heard of. And I, I wanted to run down this list with you and do a temperature check on, on how you're feeling towards these conspiracy theories with like a, with like a one being no fucking way. There's no way this happened or a 10 being uh hell. Yes. It wasn't inside job. 
You want to do this with me? Yes, I want to do this with you. Sorry for the slow response. I was watching the Jeremy GMB play. He's like super safe. Incredibly safe. I hate instant replay, but if we'd had instant replay back in 2001, I probably would be an instant replay stand. It's a really hard thing to call in real time, though. I, I, it took me until the slow-mo thing to really get on your side here. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I we The last week or two has seen a lot of us actually cutting umpires some slack, which is not really the hill I thought that we'd die on here at Tipping Pitches, but such is life. You know us, pro-authority, <laughs> pro-umpire. <laughs> All right, Bob, are you ready to get into this? I'm ready to get into it. All right, I'm going to start you off with an easy one. And I actually feel like I think I know where you stand on this already, but but for the listeners, we'll play this out. This story is so well known that I don't even think that I need to tell the listeners much about it. Um, it features a, a now anti-hero of the podcast, Kurt Schilling, who was, uh, <laughs> who was known in 2004, the ALCS, for a certain bloody sock that got a lot of attention. and. Uh, I believe it ended up going to the Hall of Fame. But Bobby, was it really blood or was it ketchup? Oh, ketchup. Do I have to rate this on the merits of whether it's ketchup or some other type of substance? Because I don't think he actually put like the <laughs> condiment ketchup in his sock. You don't think he got like a like a bottle of Heinz or like went up to the condiment stand and asked for a little ketchup packet and like just shoved it in there? This segment brought to you by the kind of people at Heinz Ketchup. No, uh, I don't. The condiment segment or the condiment section near the hot dogs. That's an interesting wrinkle to the conspiracy theory. I've never heard that part of it. Uh, so wait, so how, how am I doing this again? 10 is I totally believe that it is a conspiracy theory or. Yeah. So, so 10 is 10 is you believe this conspiracy theory. Forget the ketchup part. It's just, do you believe that the, the bloody sock was, was real? Yeah. Or do you believe that, that it was, it was faked in some way? I believe I'll give this one like a uh, like a four. I don't think that he put ketchup in the sock. I think it was because he had had ankle surgery prior to that, right? So I think he burst open some stitches, which is a not it's a pretty easy thing to do. Um, and so I, I don't think that it was a total. I don't think it was totally happenstance because I think that once he burst open the stitches, he could have very easily closed it up, but that he left the blood there to make it seem like he was gritting through it a lot more. So he doctored it a little bit. He like leaned into the narrative kind of, kind of like how uh, how like Paul Pierce allowed them to carry him off the court when he actually pooped his pants. <laughs> exactly. But um, <laughs> I think that it was, uh, I don't think he put ketchup in there. I, that's like a little bit too far for me. Although, you know, he did go bankrupt investing in a weird video game company. Yeah, I feel like if there's one guy who might pull this sort of stunt, <laughs> we have found our culprit. I feel like A-Rod might do this. There's, let's do a little bit of subcategory right here. Let's do uh, five guys who might do something similar to this. A-Rod being one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, A-Rod would absolutely do this sort of thing. Um, Ryan Braun? Ooh, yeah. Trevor Bauer? Are we Trevor just naming Bauer? players, like kind of scummy players we don't yeah, like now? <laughs> yeah, pretty much. <laughs> Ryan Braun's actually a good one. He would do this sort of thing, this sort of showmanship to, to show fans that he's like gritting it out just for them. Yeah, honestly, I hate to do this to you, but Jeremy Giambi, or I mean, uh, Jason Giambi might Jason do something Giambi, like this. Yeah, he would do. <laughs> Jeremy <laughs> Giambi too. Who the fuck? I don't mean he. He sure. Yeah. He would never get to the stage where it would matter, but yeah, he might do it. <laughs> yeah, how does that? Uh, how does that change the narrative? If Jeremy Giambi is racing around third base with, with a, a bloody with sock. A bloody sock. Blood on the glove, man. Blood on the glove. All right, what's up next? <laughs> 
This next one is actually kind of a kind of a two pronged one, mm-hmm. uh, and and ironically enough, it involves Derek Jeter, who uh, who retired at the end of 2014. But he had some it's some really real... been that long. Sorry, to cut it's you off already. So, but... It's been so long, right? I guess he is already the president of baseball operations <laughs> for a major league baseball team, so it makes sense that it's been five years. <laughs> yeah, it took him. It took him a few years to kind Wait, of sorry. transform into cartoon uh, evil villain. He's the CEO of the Marlins. The CEO, boss. The boss yes. is here. <laughs> the capital B boss. Okay, continue. So he had a couple memorable moments uh, in that final season. And one was during I the All-Star where game <laughs> where, uh, where Adam Wainwright was, uh, was on the mound for the National League team. And, and Derek Jeter was at the plate for the American League team. And Derek Jeter laced a, laced a hit to right field. And uh, and he had a similarly memorable moment in his last game at Yankee Stadium against the Orioles, where he uh, again hit another walk off hit to right field. Now, the story goes that Adam Rain- Wainwright just grooved him a meatball right down the middle of the plate. What do you think, Bobby? Did Adam Wainwright want Derek Jeter to to have that moment, like a wink and game? a nod type of thing? Oh, you're talking about in the All Star game or in the final at bat? Well, okay, either one. So. Let's let's the final let's start with the, is a the, ten. That was a hundred percent intentional. Wow, really? Yeah, that's the I'll, one you go with. You okay. know, I guess I I would give actually I'll give the All Star Game one a ten, and I'll give no. I want to reserve my ten in my back pocket. All Star Game one a nine, <laughs> and the uh, the final game of the regular season like an eight. How about that? Uh, yeah, I'm all for it. So uh, so Orioles relief pitcher Evan Meek was on the mound for tough the, last name for him. Yeah, t- yeah, extremely tough last name. Uh, somewhat, somewhat adding fuel to the fire is the fact that Buck Showalter was in the other dugout, who uh, who just happened to be Derek Jeter's first manager in the major leagues. So, uh, so maybe Buck Showalter gave the directive to Evan Meek. But regardless, I don't think it came from <laughs> Buck Showalter. Jeez. So, so are we just thinking that this like journeyman reliever who hasn't been in the major leagues since was just like fuck it? I'm not long for this game. I'm just going to give it to him right here. Yeah. It was an 86 mile an hour cutter, like middle in. Okay. Listen, listen to this quote from him after the game. This is from Meek who said, quote, it was his day and it was a great day for baseball. I can either be upset about it or embrace it. What a moment. That, that sounds to me like a guy who just gave him a fastball right down the middle. Uh, that's being exactly honest. what it sounds like. What was the Orioles' scenario in this situation? They were pretty good at the time, right? Like, did they win the division that year? They, yeah, they did win the division that year. Very good. So, yeah, they they won the division that year, and they won it by twelve games. Yeah, so, so they had it locked up. They yeah, didn't have much to lose. Yeah, they're throwing out Evan Meek. First of all, shout out to the Orioles winning the division with ninety six wins, and the Yankees coming in second with eighty four wins. They really ran away with it back there. Remember when the Orioles were good? <laughs> it's pretty incredible the amount of like reverence. For Derek Jeter in the game. I mean, seriously, I'm I'm not one of those like Derek Jeter truther people where I'm like, he was actually like not good. He was extremely like, I mean, he was he was a bad defender or whatever. But I feel like a lot of people have like the pendulum has swung the other way and people are like, nah, Derek Jeter fucking sucked. And I'm like, no, I mean, he was actually pretty pretty good and chill, dude. But but like the fact that at least one pitcher and most likely two were willing to just like give him a hit very, very blatantly just give him hits in somewhat crucial moments is, uh, is kind of baffling to me. 
Yeah. I mean, it's all about like the power of the myth making, right? Like we were talking about this a couple of weeks ago when I was saying that Derek Jeter's career is basically like a myth. And I think it's gone, like you said, so far in the other direction that like the myth has started to actually take away from the reality. Like there's like a backlash to it. And I, eventually there will be a backlash to the backlash again and people will come back around on Derek Jeter. This is just a hell cycle that we find ourselves caught in internalizing the role of public figures in our lives in 2019. But I don't know. I He doesn't do much for me. He's like, I get it. You know, I do. I get it. But it's so hard for me to like find sympathy for a company man for the New York Yankees. You know, like I just have, there's too many other players in my heart for me to like go out of my way to particularly enjoy the myth and legend that is Derek Jeter. Like, I, I get it. He played shortstop for one of the most successful runs for one of the most successful franchises that we have in baseball. And that's that's cool. But like, <laughs> I would not groove a cutter right down the middle for him. No. How about no? Like, whatever. He has the rest of his career to celebrate. And now, like, now, now uh, what's his name? Meek has us saying his name on a podcast five years later. So it feels like an L for that guy. Hell yeah, Evan Meek, who who hasn't appeared in the major leagues since then, uh, and meanwhile tipping pitches the the official stance on Derek Jeter's career. That's cool. It's cool. <laughs> it was cool. <laughs> Come talk to me in ten years when Ahmed Rosario has a better career than him. What do you say? Oh wow, we got we got takes. Bobby came with takes today. All right, what's the next conspiracy? We've done two so far, right? Yeah, two so far. Uh, next one up. Bud Selig actually knew about all the steroid use during the 90s and early 2000s, but he didn't really care because he knew that home runs were helping popularize the game again and get the the country re-engaged in it. All right, remember, 10, what do you say? Remember when five minutes ago I said that I wanted to reserve my 10? I, for- I, do, I do remember that. <laughs> This is the ten. This is the reason. I, this is the reason I was reserving it. Of course, he knew. It's just like Rob Manfred knows now about how the baseballs are being juiced, and he knows how he could fix them. And yet, because MLB owns Rawlings now, yeah. But uh, of course, he knew. There's no way that like that many people can be using, it and it's that much of a massive trend, and you just never hear about it, right? Because. I feel like not that much happens in every single baseball clubhouse that all the other clubhouses don't know about. And if all of the clubhouses knew about it, Bud Selig was the owner of the Milwaukee Brewers. He knew what was going on in clubhouses. He knew what was going on in his clubhouse and in other clubhouses. Like there's no way that he didn't know that people were starting to use and that it was only going to get worse as he became commissioner. And you didn't have to look that much further past the Mark McGuire, Sammy Sosa home run race to realize that these dudes were juiced out of their mind. And also, I brought up Rob Manfred in the the juice ball conspiracy theory, right? Like the ball was probably juiced back then, by the way, there's been some writing to retroactively look back at the potential of a juice ball happening in the past already. And um, there's been some pretty convincing cases made. So you could maybe even convince me that there's a conspiracy theory that Bud Selig knew about a juiced ball back then, or, but didn't bother to look into that as a potential theory. And it's, uh, sustained all the way through Rob Manfred. How about that? That's a 20-year conspiracy theory for you, Alex. I am I am so down for conspiracy theories being passed down 
from like generation to generation. Like yeah. these, these, like the, the skeletons in the closet for Major League Baseball. Yeah. It's like the idea <laughs> that once you become president, you get all of the top secret classified information. It's like, it's way cooler when you're president, you learn about Area 51 and the Kennedy assassination. But then when you're the commissioner of baseball, you learn about how the last commissioner of baseball tried to suppress the, the fans from knowing anything and tried to jack up <laughs> ticket prices. It's like, oh, this is less fun. It's a good thing I'm a lawyer, so I don't like fun. Yeah, you, that was me. You, that was me role playing, cosplaying as Rob Manfred. Did you like that? <laughs> that was that was very it's good. A, you sounded it's just a good like thing him. I'm a lawyer, so I don't like fun. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I I'm I gotta be on board with this one too. And the thing is, the thing about this is that Seelig was right. Fans loved it. Fans loved the home run chase. Uh, the the McGuire. Sosa, Giambi, Chase, and and Barry Bonds. Fans loved all of it. They ate that shit up. So like, I I, I can't believe I'm about to um, to defend Rob Manfred here. But do you blame the guy for like just trying it again? I mean, it's really uh, not creative. But he's like, well, this worked 20 years ago. It could uh it could work today too, right? I don't know that I blame him, but I definitely don't give him a pass because he's outright denied it so many times. And it's like, yeah. He he just thinks we're stupid, and I don't take well to people just insulting my intelligence or the greater baseball fandom's intelligence, because we're not stupid. We can read, and there are a lot of smart baseball writers writing about this stuff. And, you know, you and I got into an argument one time in college about uh, the use of PEDs in sports, and I was saying... I was being typically digging my heels in stupidly, saying that I think that all PEDs should be allowed, and you were like, well, okay, but no. <laughs> and you were right. Not Probably not all PEDs should be allowed, right? But I was basically saying just like, why not? If like a guy wants to choose to use HGH to recover from an injury, like why is it so punitive in the sense that the, the commissioner of baseball can just decide with the other 29 owners or 30 owners what guys are and aren't allowed to use to recover from the injuries that they sustain while doing things that are unnatural human motions. You know, like a guy like Andy Pettit, who now has an asterisk next to his name because this is his story. So I'm taking you take it with a grain of salt or whatever, but he has an asterisk next to his name for using HGH to recover from an arm injury so he could get back and pitch more. And I don't have a huge problem with that. I guess the, uh, the ridiculous juicing with anabolic steroids um, and the effects that that had on the game and the pressure that that creates for other players to also do that, to, you know, have this keep up with the Joneses mentality. I think that's probably bad, but I don't know. There should be longer studies and trials looking into some of these drugs. Um, you know, if you want to take a wider scope, like the idea that CBD helps NFL players like sleep and recover from pain and that kind of thing. I just think that baseball and the front office or baseball and the commissioner's office are maybe not like the best arbiters of all of these policies. Oh yeah. I absolutely agree with you. And it feels like the way that these rules are put together and enforced are in such a patchwork way that it, it really doesn't do anything to actually deter players because they just find other ways. I think it's interesting that in the last like couple of years, you and I have actually probably drifted. If we were on opposite ends of the spectrum, we've probably drifted closer together. Like you're, you're yeah. pumping the brakes a little bit and being like, no, actually, maybe like all steroids aren't good. And I'm kind of like, 
actually, maybe some steroids are good. <laughs> just like, fuck it. It reminds me of a tweet I saw the other day that was like, and and pardon me because I don't remember who tweeted it, but... If it, you're listening, was, <laughs> Twitter, I'm, I'm <laughs> reach so out sorry. to us. You are one of our 30 listeners. <laughs> um, it said something like, uh, we should just have an Olympics where everyone's actually allowed to like juice as, as much as they want. I'm paraphrasing. Uh, and just like, see what happens, you know, like, fuck it. Let's see how high humans can jump. And yeah. I'm kind of, kind of just like, yeah, sure. Right. Like if, if everyone was juicing pitchers and hitters and, and, and everyone, you've effectively leveled the, the playing field. Now you don't want to like get to a point where people are just like it's a really slippery slope and it's an incredibly dangerous thing to do to just put drugs in your body to make it do things that it shouldn't. Um, and, and that's really, I feel like one of the, one of the real dangers there, but yeah, I, but Bud Selig was right. And Rob Manfred, he, he might be right too. All right. So, so far on this podcast, score one for umpires. Score one for Bud Selig and Rob Manfred. And with your last point, score one for centrism. Let's all just talk across the aisle and drift towards the center. This is pretty good stuff out of you so far. This is this is a, a podcast for the ages right now. <laughs> all right. What's the uh, what's the next conspiracy theory? All right. Not to I don't want to editorialize too much on this because I want you to form your own opinion on this next one. Mm-hmm. But but this You've conspiracy done so good theories, about saying down the middle in the last ones. Not, yeah. not pushing me towards the direction of any, any way. Right, of course. Well, I, I hope that I don't um, do that again when I say that this one is kind of batshit crazy, but but that's the, the reason that I want to bring this up on the podcast and pose it to you. So the, the line of thinking goes, and this is not like deep in like the, the Reddit comments, like isn't even showed because it's been downvoted so many times. This is like, a thing I've seen on like a few different websites at this point. So you've upvoted so, it. So I have, up, it I have upvoted it. Yes. I have printed it out and put it on my wall and, and done the, the strings between all the yeah, pins. The Carrie Matheson corkboard. Yeah, exactly. So this says that the owners conspired with the MLB players union to keep the Montreal Expos from winning the 1994 series. Thus, leading to the players strike. This so, is a lot to chew on. Yeah, it is Can a lot to chew on. Can you give me some maybe pros and cons <laughs> from the Reddit thread that you started? <laughs> so the Toronto Blue Jays, also a team based in Canada, our friends up north, or our friends right at home, if you're a Canadian listener, um, had won the World Series in 1992 and 1993 and back TV back ratings, by Drake, shout out. Back, yeah, back to back and TV American TV ratings had plummeted during that span. And so, <laughs> and so owners got together with the players union mm-hmm. and said, look, we can't have this. We need to, bring that nationalism back to America and get baseball fans excited about our game. That's our game that we invented. It's not Canadians game. They have hockey. It's all to themselves. We need an American born and bred team to be winning the world series. And so they colluded. And, uh, and so the theory is either that the, you know, the, the players got wind of the plans and 
struck, held a strike, mm-hmm. or that the owners and the players union simply manufactured the strike and uh, so that the uh, basically torpedoing the Expo's best chance of winning the World Series, right? And things just absolutely fell apart after that and uh, all their best players left and obviously the franchise ended up moving to Washington, D.C. So, Bobby, did the owners and the MLB Players Union rig the 1994 season to keep a Canadian-based baseball team from winning the World Series? I'm going to give this one a two. I thought long and hard about it while you were explaining it. I don't believe it. Here's why. The owners are too stupid to figure this out. (laughs) (laughs) These are the same owners. These are the same GMs in front offices. These are the baseball lifer guys who, like, just two off-seasons ago, or just one off-season ago, were passing around a championship belt for wage suppression amidst a controversy over whether they were colluding to keep players' wages down. So... They would not be able to keep this under wraps for this long. Number one, we would be reading a Jeff Passan article about it or something like that. And number two, like, there's no guarantee that the Expos were going to win that World Series. I mean, they had the best team for sure. But uh, I think the Astros have been the best team in baseball or the Dodgers have been the best team in baseball, one or the other, for the last four years. And the Astros only have one World Series to show for it, and the Dodgers have none. So, I mean, there, there's no way to really guarantee you're going to win that World Series. And I don't think that the owners would go to those extreme lengths just to keep the Expos from even getting the chance. I think they would uh, sooner fix the World Series once it got to that point. Uh, you know what I'm saying? Like, they would, they would have the umpires... Uh, wide in the strike zone or they would have uh, the balls juiced for one team, that kind of thing. Like I would be more susceptible to believing that kind of theory, even though I don't think I would give that above a five either. (laughs) (laughs) Because that's insane. Um, You know, I, I don't think that conspiracy theories on this scale that could really like damage the public trust of baseball beyond repair have really happened since I guess like since the Black Sox scandal, which is like a hundred years ago at this point. Um, so we're in the hundred year, the centennial of that. So maybe this is a good reason that we're doing this conspiracy segment right now. But um, yeah, I don't know. It just doesn't feel worth it to me to stop the whole season and stop a whole <laughs> half season of revenue. Also, another thing is to factor in is like, there's no way that the owners just gave up that half season of revenue. Like they won't even give right. up a couple million dollars here and there on ticket sales or concessions. Yeah. So uh, to lose an entire half season of, of baseball games feels like uh, they don't, they don't speak that language. When you, uh, when you paused to tell me that you were going to give me your, your long, well thought out rationale about why you didn't think that this was true. I was prepared for, for you mentioning something about how this was like the, the eighth, work stoppage in like the last 25 years or something like that. And, and the, the groundwork was laying for this sort of thing. It was a long time coming, but I have to say it makes me much happier uh, to hear the rationale be that the owners are just way too stupid to pull this sort of thing <laughs> off. They are. <laughs> I'm it's telling like, you. It's like when people are like, Oh, like Trump's just playing the, the yeah. long game. Like maybe he's doing, he's, so he's playing 12 dimensional chess. And I'm like, the dude doesn't even remember what he had for breakfast, right? No. Like, like there is no he way. He has late stage dementia. <laughs> yes, he is. There is no, uh, there's no deep state 
in uh, in our government, just as uh, supposedly there there isn't one in baseball, at least not one that we know of quite yet. Although I guess that's why they call it the deep state. I just think like the <laughs> can't believe we're talking about the deep state. <laughs> I, I think that like in general, owners are dumber than we think they are. Like there's this American capitalist mythos that like in order to become successful and in order to be a billionaire you have to be like this cunning and conniving and you have to think six steps ahead and you have to uh you have to be an alpha and you have to have like an MBA all these different things in order to be this successful in life and we we look up at these people like we put them on a pedestal and really it's mostly just like they inherited a hundred million dollars from like their grandfather and then that just like made smart investments at the advice of like smarter people than they are. So like to get 30 of those dudes in a room and say, we're going to execute a large under wraps conspiracy theory to stop the Montreal Expos from winning the 1994 World Series. I don't know. I don't see it. Sorry. That's a three. Did I say three or two? I think two. I think you said a two, but it's interesting that by the time the conversation ended, you were already trending up towards a three. Maybe that tells you something. Who knows? You you laid out such convincing facts. Okay, uh, this is this segment is running quite long, so let's do one final conspiracy theory, Alex. Last one, and this might be my favorite one, and I had never heard about it prior to to doing this research. So the story goes that in uh, in 1997, in the midst of Cal Ripken Jr.'s consecutive games started streak, that uh, that he called the the manager at the time to say that he wasn't going to be able to show up for that evening's game. And so, so the story goes, a, uh, an, an employee of the Orioles took matters into their own hands and rigged the, the lighting, actually sabotaged the lights at Camden Yards uh, to create a malfunction that would result in the canceling of that evening's game, thus preserving Cal Ripken Jr.'s streak. And... Supposedly, it goes even deeper than that. Supposedly, the reason yeah. that Ripken Jr. was not at said baseball game, could not make it to said baseball game, was because he had walked in on his wife cheating with Kevin Costner <laughs> and was busy dealing with the fallout from that. Bobby, oh my God. <laughs> tell me, what do you think? Wow, I'm afraid to put a number on this one. I mean, Cal the, Ripken the, stretches far and wide, you know, the Cal Ripken stands. Did the did the Orioles cover for Cal Ripken Jr. beating the shit out of Kevin Costner and uh and therefore preserve his uh his streak, which he'd go on to have for another couple years at that point? I'm gonna say I'll give this one a four. Okay. And the only reason I'll give it that much dignity is because Kevin Costner fucks, you know? <laughs> That dude totally fucks. Uh, I don't think this happened. This seems like sort of retroactive bullshit, you know, like very much like we were talking about with the Derek Jeter uh, myth, the Derek Jeter mythology that gets built up. It's like you need to add on top of what is already a great statistic or a great career or, you know, in Cal Ripken's case, like a, a storied run that he went on as like this Iron Man who like refused to miss any games I think more likely he like had food poisoning or something like that. I I weirdly like believe a little bit of the rigging the light fixture. And that's why I'll give it a four and not something more like a one or a two because uh, 
I don't know, man. There was like it was like a lawless land back then. You could just rig yeah, the light fixtures and no. <laughs> Before two thousand, as far as I'm concerned, like anybody who like went, made it through high school or college could figure out how to fuck up something with technology, and the older people would just like shake their hands and be like, "Well, we can't play for two days," you know. <laughs> um. So I was uh, I was a bit. Uh, dishonest in disclosing this story to you because Snopes.com uh, went back and found some some news reports from the day's events that allege that Ripken was actually seen on the bench prior to the day's uh, events and so that it was not even Cal Ripken Jr. who had called out and was in danger of missing the game. But I want to believe, I really do want to believe that the Orioles rigged this for him. And if all we have are eyewitness accounts, that's that's not reliable. No, it's not. Who's to say whether he was there or not? I mean, Ben Zobrist has missed the entire baseball season. Yeah, what's going effectively, on Effectively, because he walked in on his wife in bed with someone else. So, like, you're trying to tell me that Cal Ripken Jr. wasn't even going to take a day off to confront his, his good buddy, his, like, actual real-life good buddy, Kevin Costner, about this extramarital affair? I, I don't believe it for a second. Maybe it's just, like, one of those situations where, like, it's Kevin Costner, so you just kind of have to shrug and walk away. Like, that dude is just, like I said earlier, that guy fucks. He, he does fuck. What, what more <laughs> is there to say? <laughs> okay, um, this was great Kevin Costner content. We've had a lot of Kevin Costner content during the middle of the baseball season. We've just ignored quite a few things and talked a lot about Field of Dreams and um, Kevin Costner allegedly sleeping with Hall of Famers wives. But uh, I I think that's enough for the conspiracy corner before we get ourselves in too much trouble with the deep state, Alex. We're going to take a quick break. And uh, when we come back, three up, three down. We are going to close this week as we do every week with three up, three down. Are you ready? I am ready. Three things coming off my list this week. The Little League World Series came and went. Don't even know if it's over. Don't really care. Haven't been in this year on it. Sorry. <laughs> the uh, the Justin Verlander Detroit Free Press reporter situation because Justin Verlander went through a no hitter and everybody just seemingly forgot, including me. That he had this whole fallout <laughs> about the First Amendment with a journalist. <laughs> I I appreciate the the I appreciate you being so candid about this too and I- implicating yourself in this as well. Yeah, man. I'm part of the demise of democracy. Democracy dies in darkness. Sorry, Washington Post. Uh and then finally, I think I think he was still on the list. I don't really know. Uh I'm taking off Seth Lugo mm. as the uh the fireman of my dreams, you know? Seth Lugo's been good still, but it's only so long that you can think about a guy, one guy in your team's bullpen, you know? You would go a little crazy if you think about that guy too much because then you, like, your 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 whole life hangs on the balance of, like, whether that guy has a good outing or not, and I don't want to live like I don't want to live like that, you know? Do you often dream of firemen, or is it usually just one? It's usually... <laughs> Well, the Mets only have one, so I don't dream of any others. I got um, you. Okay. 
Stop! Don't don't make fun of me. All right, you've had I'm a tough not... year with your bullpen, also. Okay, how's Blake Trinan doing? <laughs> deserved. Uh, you want to make this personal? <laughs> okay, what's coming off your list? All right, first off my list, AJ Puck is. Oh no! As, as much as it as much as it pains me to do it, uh, and and that's only because I have a little bit of beef regarding his usage over the last week and a half or so. Yeah not pitching for a whole week and and our manager Bob Melvin relying on like three mediocre relievers when you also have another one who you want to get big league exposure I don't know man I'm just I'm all torn up about it and so um it's not to say that I've forgotten about AJ Puck completely but the A's are trying their best to make me forget about him so uh so he's off the list for this week uh next off my list is Nathan Patterson the uh the guy who got signed by the A's after throwing the speed pitch thingamajig, you know. I the totally Colorado knew that Rockies. that was his name. Yeah, yeah, right? I f- forgot forgot most things about him. Don't know what he looks like anymore. I hope he's doing well, though. I'll be rooting for him. Where did he hope. get brought to? Is he playing in, like, the minor league playoffs? Because those started. <laughs> <laughs> um, It's possible. My guess is that he's in the very lowest... You know, I don't really know. As an Ace fan, I probably should have kept tabs on this, but it was like one of those <laughs> stories that circulated for 24 hours, and I was like, all right, we're done. Love Twitter. Okay, what's finally off your list? <laughs> uh, bad umpires. I talked a bit about umpires making bad calls and the coming robot umpire revolution a couple weeks ago, I believe. Maybe it was mm-hmm. last week. I don't remember. Time is a blur. But, uh, but you know, I've softened the, on them a bit. I'm I'm pro umpire now, or at least I'm neutral umpire at this point. So uh, so they're off my list at least for the time being. If you would have given me the odds on this podcast becoming pro umpire about a year ago, I would not have bet on them. That's for sure. Absolutely not. <laughs> Weird move by us. <laughs> We're just we trying to support workers wherever we see them. You know. Yeah, exactly. Umpires are laborers too. Okay. Uh, why don't you kick us off? What's coming onto your list first this week? Uh well uh well speaking of coming on <laughs> MLB circulated a memo to its players uh early last week to tell them to stop using over the counter sexual enhancement pills This because, is what I was uh, trying to remember that I wanted to bring up earlier <laughs> <laughs> Well there you go full circle um stop taking gas station sex pills because they're turning up in our steroid tests was basically the essence of the memo and I would just like to unpack that idea with you for a second, because there is, as they say, a lot going on there. Yeah. It's a pretty loaded memo coming from MLB. My favorite part of this, before we get into it, before you give a couple more details, the deep <laughs> details on this story. My favorite part of this is that um, it really came out of nowhere. And it was like treated like news breaking because Jeff Passan wrote an article about it and tweeted about it. And then the memo came after uh, after his breaking news story, I guess you can call it. I don't know how else to describe it. But my favorite part about it is that it just like completely came out of nowhere. And why else would we think about gas station sex pills? I don't even really think I knew that gas station sex pills existed. I come from more of a uh, infomercial sex pills generation, Alex. <laughs> This is baseball's version of like a Woj bomb. It's like a Jeff Passan tweeting about gas station sex pills on a Monday afternoon. Yeah, I know. It's like in basketball, it's like Woj has a direct line to every agent and he tweets like 
Kevin Durant's like six step thought process as he decides to leave the Golden State Warriors for the Brooklyn Nets. And then in baseball, it's like, well, Rob Manfred's about to send out a memo about sex pills. <laughs> chill out with the boners, guys. We really need you to chill out. <laughs> I don't really. I mean, is there like a is there more of a take to have on this? Like, is this good or bad for the game? <laughs> Can we uh, sports radio this? Like, what is Francesa's segment about this? Well, I'm not in New York anymore, so I can't listen to WFAN. So what is Mike? What is the the Pope have to say about this? I mean, at least when it comes to the players involved in this, it certainly doesn't bode well for their game in their personal life. You know, like, 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 like sex game, like, you know. Oh, yeah, I get it. Yeah, Yeah, they don't have game. Yeah, they don't have game. It's like a double entendre. Okay, question. Do you think that that this is the players actually trying to cheat? Or do you think that this was like, they're using the sex pills for what they're designed to be used for? (laughs) conspiracy corner bring it back we're back to the original segment (laughs) i gotta say i've been thinking about this a lot probably too much and i'm really torn on it i am really torn because on the one hand you would think that as a major league baseball player who most likely gets paid millions or at least hundreds of thousands of dollars and have access to some of the top uh medical experts in sports and perhaps just anywhere to help you that, juice that well that to either help you juice or to help you have sex <laughs> either one and so yeah this is like the one lose-lose scenario that you could find <laughs> exactly <laughs> i mean maybe they were just like fuck it it costs 30 bucks and i'm here <laughs> And I got to have sex tonight, but I got a game tomorrow. So might as well kill two birds with one stone. Like maybe Mm. that's the thought process, but that's all I can think of. Okay. I think they're using it to cheat. There's no way that this many Major League Baseball players need gas station sex pills. That's my take on the situation. (laughs) I, I believe it. Although you never know. Baseball players are pretty dumb. Back to my original point. I think they should be allowed to take the gas station sex pills. So what? PEDs, baby. Okay. First onto my list is uh, this is the last year of September call-ups, Alex. And I wanted to talk about that briefly with you because I am i don't know if we've ever really talked about this in, de- in depth. We might have when, um, when the rule got first instituted, when there was like a whole slew, when we were just begging for off-season content and there was like a whole slew of rule changes. Um, I want to I talk to you about the September call-ups thing for a couple of reasons. The first one being like, I kind of... Uh, I like September call-ups <laughs> and I don't know if that's a, a cold take or not because I, I realize sort of like the logical fault to September call-ups. Like you play the entire rest of the season with a 25-man roster and you have to construct your, you know, you have to construct your lineup around that. You have to construct your team composition around that. You have to make subs based around that. And it just becomes kind of like an entirely different game that you're playing for one month out of the season. And it doesn't totally make a ton of sense, but I like the result. I like the intended result of that. And, and, and it is essentially to get more players up to the big leagues to get a chance to look at a couple more guys. Like if you're a bad team, you get to throw the younger prospects out there for a month and see how they adjust to a big leads, a big league slider, like that kind of thing. Um, so I don't know where, where are you at on ending September call-ups? Like, do you think this makes 
the most sense? I guess it probably just makes the most sense, but do you wish that it wasn't ending? I mean, I think that I'm with you in that I like it as a concept because it provides us an opportunity to see players that we might not otherwise see, but I don't love just like games that feature nine relievers, you know? that like come in in the fourth inning because they don't want to waste their starter or whatever. Like it just becomes a a completely different game altogether. And so like, I fundamentally get why they do it. Although I, I think it's also important to look at it from the perspectives of like the minor leaguers as like this being an opportunity for that. I mean, they play the whole season grinding towards something in theory. And here is this moment at the end to not only go up to the major leagues and perform on the big stage. And, you know, this is something they've been working their whole life towards, but also get a, a major league paycheck, right? After grinding away in the minors for years. And so not to, to make it a, um, a, a labor conversation, but I'm somewhat cynical in thinking about the the ways that this idea was put forth. Because now you don't have to pay 15 extra players, you're paying one extra player. So I think I would feel less strongly about this if the the system was changed where we weren't dependent on this like designated month to see all the potentially good players because teams were just like calling them up as they saw fit. Yeah. Well, in a just world, this would sort of eliminate the artificial deadline for when teams actually are willing to call people up, right? Like, this would mean that there's no September to delay till, and you could call them up in August or July or June or whatever. Just call them up as they're actually ready and not have that built-in excuse of, oh, we're waiting for rosters to expand because we already have 25 guys here and we're focused on this season, the day-to-day, you know, take it one game at a time, all that bullshit. But that's not how it's actually going to play out in practice, right? Like, they're just going to, minor league are just going to stay down the whole year as opposed to even <laughs> right, getting exactly. that one-month bone at the end of the year. So, yeah, yeah point well taken. Um, I, I wish that it functioned the way that I was describing just now, but it probably will not. All that being said, September call-ups, just something to think about. We have now crossed into the month of September. We have less than a month of regular season baseball left. And um, that makes me sad because uh, as we're recording right now, the the Mets blew a six-run lead in the bottom of the ninth and everything is terrible. So that means I only have less than a month left of watching the Mets in 2019, Alex. I you know you never know man I want to I want to be here to give you hope it could it could happen anything could happen I'm going to start wearing my A's hat everywhere <laughs> or maybe I shouldn't I don't want to curse it for you I don't know go where your heart desires you're a California boy now you can you can proudly walk the, rock that A's hat hell yeah never been to the bay area but whatever bro <laughs> I'm going to be that one guy at the baseball game between two teams that are not the A's but is somehow still there's always one guy wearing an always A's hat one guy <laughs> Uh, okay, what's what's next on your list? I think we're up to number two on your list, right? Yeah. So next on my list is a is a piece involving our good friend Alex Rodriguez, who on Sunday Night Baseball this past weekend said, hands down, bar none, one of the most baffling things I have ever heard said on a baseball broadcast by someone who's supposedly a smart baseball person, and. This is the uh this is in the Mets Phillies game and there was a runner on second and Jay Bruce was at bat and they were debating the merits of a of a bunt 
Um, and so you notice the, the Phillies had a one run lead. And A-Rod was suggesting that Jay Bruce should bunt the runner on second over to third base. And he backed that up by saying, you always want even leads versus odd leads. Why? The solo home run doesn't tie it, and the grand slam doesn't beat you. Keep it simple. <laughs> that that destroyed everything I knew or thought I knew about the concept of baseball, and I have to reevaluate a lot of life choices right now. Bobby, what the fuck? Okay, wait, here's my take. Okay. He was right up until the part about the Grand Slams. You do want an even lead over top of an odd lead when it's between one or two runs, meaning you (laughs) want to be leading by more than one run if you can be. Yeah. However, do you want to be leading by two or three runs, Alex? Let's play a basic little game of arithmetic. What do you think? (laughs) (laughs) I mean, this is... This is basically the same thing as being like you don't want to hit run home runs because it's It'll kill a, rally a rally killer. Like yeah. this is the exact same line of logic. Um, why don't you just be like you should try to score as many runs as possible? If you want to do a sacrifice bunt because you think that'll score you a run, fine. But just have the rationale be I want to score another run. Are you telling Jay Bruce not to homer here? Is that your advice to Jay Bruce, the guy who yeah. only knows how to homer? Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> he only knows how to homer and miss fly balls in right field. Yeah. Uh, there's always been like a, a faulty logic to the idea of a home. I mean, I, this goes without saying that there's faulty logic to the idea that home runs kill rallies. But especially when you think about the fact that the people who say that are the same people who think that you need to manufacture runs any way possible. Like, so you're saying that I should give up an out to get a run? Like I, are you just coming out as like you are pro taxes? Like you want to pay as many taxes as possible, and we're going to pay a tax via run as opposed to just hitting a home run for free? <laughs> like I don't, I don't get the logic there. In that, if you're so willing to like sack fly or hit and run or a sacrifice bunt or any of that stuff that that all of these like um, play the game the right way guys are willing to tell you to do wouldn't you also just be as willing to say like a solo home run is as good as anything like I don't I, there's always just been backwards logic in that to me but um, yeah I mean A-Rod just he supposedly knows a ton about baseball, right? Like you said at the beginning of this segment. And of course he does. And he's a he's a baseball genius. But to me, you know, there's this uh, adage in, in basketball specifically, like the people who become the best coaches were not necessarily the best players because when you're so good as a player, you find it so hard to understand how people might not be able to do the things that you could do when you were a player. And to me, that's every time I listen to A-Rod announcing. I'm like, not everyone just has the natural raw ability to have the ball jump off their bat every time it touches their bat, you know? And like, A-Rod trying to relate to like the below average contact hitter, but above average power hitter, just there's something that doesn't compute there because A-Rod was plus plus in everything. And so (laughs) when when I'm listening to him try to give advice to like, you know, the David Eckstein's of the world. I'm like, what the fuck do you know about what it means to be like 30 future value, (laughs) A-Rod? 
Yeah, I don't want to hear A-Rod talk about sacrifice bunts. Has he ever sacrificed bunted in his life? That doesn't feel like a very A-Rod thing to me. Uh, yeah, don't sack bunt when you're worth 10 wins, you know? <laughs> meanwhile, you heard it here first. Sacrifice bunts, the taxes of baseball? Coming up next. Honestly, read my column. Okay. <laughs> All right. That was good. That would be a good that would be a good talk radio segment. That would be good. Yeah, we'll we'll write that one down and circle back to it. What's your uh, what's next on your list? What's the green new deal of baseball, Alex? What do you think? <laughs> I didn't we didn't we talk about that? Yeah, we did actually. <laughs> we don't need to go back into that. Uh next on my list is the best story in baseball in 2019 and that is Carlos Carrasco returning yes. from uh being on the 60-day IL. Uh, with leukemia, which is just a wild thing to even think about. It's something that you would never even consider as an injury that might affect baseball. And it was so, it was such scary news to read when it happened because you're like, Carlos Carrasco is like 32, you know, and to, to see someone with such a life-threatening disease at that young of an age and someone who's in the public eye like that, like, I don't know, it just really throws you for a loop to try to process all of that information in one place where we usually go, you and I usually go for just unadulterated joy we go to baseball for, even though it doesn't always give us that. And so to watch him uh, fight back this year and show true grit out there, I hate to bring it back to where we started from the beginning of this podcast when we were making fun of grit, but in all seriousness, like to, to fight back and be back on the mound in the same year that you go out because of leukemia and to try to contribute to your team in any way, um, he's he's now pitching out of the Indians' bullpen, I think, and he will be for the rest of the year. But just that moment, seeing him come out there, seeing Francisco Lindor walk out and give him like a like a real hug, you know, not like a high five, like tap bro hug, like you're my guy. He was just like they were just like embraced on the mound, and Carrasco, you could tell, was getting choked up. And I don't know, I love I love that team. Carrasco is one of my favorite players to watch. If you'll remember, I took him on my all gift team. Um, he's a total goofball um, and he's just like one of the most fun and admirable people I think in Major League Baseball and this story is my favorite thing that's happened in baseball in 2019 by far it's not not really close so um, shout out to Carlos Carrasco shout out to the Indians for that great moment um, I don't know man shit is cool huh I don't have anything else to add <laughs> yeah absolutely I was getting choked up watching the video and the and the Rays were standing there um, they they all came out in front of their dugout and gave him um, like a standing ovation and it's really cool when you can see um, both teams fans of both teams actually rally around and support um, a, a player because you know this it's bigger than baseball man uh, that's there's just there's something greater than all this and I say that sarcastically but also it is bigger than baseball and it's important that players are are healthy and living good lives um the the other thing that I wanted to mention on on this point and this is almost unrelated and wholly unimportant to the overall story he threw 96 miles per hour. And the only reason that caught my eye is because if I had had some sort of like traumatic illness that was potentially life-threatening, I'd be afraid to do anything ever again. I mean, if I get sick for a weekend, I don't want to get out of bed for like weeks or just be around other people because I'm afraid I'm going to fall apart. And so the, the sheer, uh, call it grit, and just strength and mental willpower it takes to go back out there 
and just lock right back in and and do what you're so good at doing is is really an incredible sight to behold and it makes you i think um appreciate what these players are actually doing by putting their bodies on the line every day so much more yeah we stand carlos carrasco that's his brief as a, a bit as brief a way that i can say it you know yeah uh all right what's what's the last thing that you're adding to your list this week the last thing on my list is something that's very near and dear to my heart. And this story about one D. Gordon, who plays for the Seattle Mariners, comes from Shannon Dreyer, who covers the Mariners for the ESPN sports radio um, station up in Seattle. And, uh, and she tweeted this out a few days ago, and it struck a chord with me because, uh, buddy, I can relate. Uh, she, the, the story goes... It is not uncommon to see D. Gordon arrive in the clubhouse with two double doubles before games in towns that have in and outs. Yesterday, however, yeah. <laughs> he was seen with another bag of burgers after the game. He confirmed today that yes, he consumed four double doubles Thursday. D. Gordon, I just feel a spiritual connection to you on a much deeper level that I I didn't even know was there. But now I we have zero choice but to stand. I I have no words. I have no words. I know. As someone who wore in and out socks literally yesterday, same. <laughs> we just we stand. <laughs> this is the stand hour of the podcast. <laughs> first first Carlos Carrasco for real reasons and second D Gordon for slightly less real reasons but still very real in that we love in and out and it's amazing. And uh Alex moved back to California so that you can delight in <laughs> in and out with me and we can record this podcast in person. I just, it makes me feel a little more validated about making the choice to go to In-N-Out literally every time I go back to California, as soon as the plane touches down, that's that's the first thing I do. I, I text one of my parents and I say, so uh, you, you know what the, what the first stop is, right? I don't even have to do it anymore. They, it's, a, it's a foregone conclusion at this point. So me and Dee Gordon, we're, we're in this together. Yeah, my parents do that with Wawa, and I just get coffee. It's amazing. And a sandwich. <laughs> I love it. Uh, okay, finally on my list. Are you ready for my hypothetical question that I posed to you? And I, I always am. <laughs> are you? Because it feels like no, maybe I not always. Am. Would you rather be a team with league average pitching and a good lineup as you're heading into the postseason, or be a team with a league average lineup and good starting pitching? So basically, would you rather be composed like the Braves or composed like the Mets? Heading, if you say that you're guaranteed a postseason position, which do you think is more viable to make it to the World Series and win? I, I actually, I like this question. And this is, I think, something that I've given thought to before. So when you say, um, when you talk pitching, are you saying starting pitching or are you including the bullpen as well? Or is that just kind of a, that's like a wild card? You know, that was my next question is if you were to choose pitching, would you rather have the bullpen or the starters? But I guess we'll just say a, a blend of the two. You have you have above average pitching and you can deploy it however you see fit. Or we can add a third option to this. Like you can be the Yankees or you can be the Mets or you can be the Braves. If you ignore the Yankees ridiculous lineup, if you just say that the Yankees lineup is league average. You have I was their, gonna say I get to be the Yankees in this I mean, scenario. No, you know you don't get to be the best team in baseball. You <laughs> this is like you are good but not great, 
So right. what way do you want to be good? I mean, as a baseball fan, I want a really good lineup mm-hmm. because I like to watch that. And I think it's more fun, especially in high leverage situations, to know that you have a chance against Clayton Kershaw or Justin Verlander, whoever is going out there. Um, strategically, I feel like I'd probably lean towards pitching because it feels a lot easier for a league average lineup to scratch across, uh, you know, just a few runs in any given game against, you know, a starter and a couple relievers than like a league average pitcher shutting out really good lineups, most of whom end up in the playoffs. Does that make sense? Yes, it does. Uh, yeah, I think I think there are different ways to come at this, right? Like, I think there's probably a sabermetric way that says you'd rather have... I don't know, though, actually, because I, I don't really know that I've read this study, and there's probably not consensus on this, but there's probably a sabermetric way that would tell you you just have the best bullpen. You have as many good arms that can give you one or two innings of 99 with a hammer slider. And uh, I think I think you're right that as a fan, you'd rather have the lineup because you feel like you can get yourself back into um, any game, no matter how far behind you are. And, and we kind of saw that um, twofold. We kind of saw that twofold a couple of years ago, 2017, when we saw the, the Dodgers and the Astros world series and those two teams, neither of them was ever really out of it. You know, like there was that game five where it was just home run after home run and it was just exchanging knockout blows. And then the Astros lineup, I think, was just better top to bottom in terms of like its ceiling. And they just, you know, hit more home runs. You know, they, they had one more George Springer than than the Dodgers had uh, Cody Bellinger. So I think that as a fan, you you trust it more to have a top to bottom lineup like that where you're making every single pitcher on the other team labor. Like, you, you know, I was thinking about this today watching the Mets game, right? Like, I love watching because it was Scherzer versus DeGrom. And like, I love watching DeGrom as much as I love doing anything as it relates to baseball. But still, like, I feel less pressure when the Mets are up because nothing bad can happen. They can't score negative runs in an inning. So if your team is built around the lineup, right, like, only good things can happen when your good side is up. Like, bad things can still happen to your good pitcher, as evidenced by the fact that, like, good pitchers still get tagged around, you know? Yeah, and there's something, I guess, a little more comforting about seeing the same group of guys who you know are really good going out there each day, just because, like you said, pitchers are really unpredictable. I It's a, it's a science that we're still figuring out, right? Like why p- some pitchers are good and others are bad. And it feels like to an extent, hitters are somewhat further along that learning curve, at least being able to kind of um, uh, react to to where pitchers are. I mean, like some pitchers just like... I mean, I think like, I, I would push back on that a little bit. I think we like understand why pitchers are are good more than we understand why hitters are good, right? And we're hitters like the technology in terms of like um, edgertronic cameras and stuff is like still catching up. Like the swing plane stuff versus the spin rate and velocity and um you know arm angle and that kind of thing like pitchers are further ahead in that respect but i think it's pretty widely agreed upon that like 
there is a certain ceiling to like how good you can be as a pitcher before like you just get hammered by a guy who just gets the bat in the right spot. You know what I mean? Like there's there's only so much you, you are affected a lot more by like bad luck, you know? Like if you hit a ball hard as a hitter, you're more likely to succeed than if you are just letting people make contact as a pitcher. Yeah, well, and this is, I mean, I don't want to get too deep in the weeds here with this, but I do think that like teams are maybe a little more savvy or at least a little more comfortable kind of tinkering with uh, a hitter's swing or using yeah. using um, like data, whether it's exit velocity or launch angle or anything like that, um, than, than messing with stuff like spin rate. Because spin rate or whatever it is, because so, so much of that stuff happens on such a, a granular level that like one tiny change can just like throw everything out of whack. So I, all this to say, like, I think it's, it's more fun as a fan to like watch the, the Yankees lineup go out there every day because you feel like you just have a chance no matter what. And pitching just makes me inherently nervous. And yet for some reason, I still feel like I'd, I'd want just a, a, a fuck ton of aces in my rotation. Give me the Astros rotation, please. Yeah, that's how we started this conversation today um, yeah. on this podcast. So yeah, I, I guess that's as good a place as any to end it. Think I'll pack it in Buy a pickup Take it down to LA Alright, Alex. Um... We got a little bit less than a month left of the baseball season. Uh, I don't know. You, you and I should probably think of some creative way to preview the MLB playoffs in a way that's not like, so the Astros are going to win, huh? Um, because we've done that probably like two years running at this point. So maybe we'll do something a little better this year. What do you say? Yeah, this year we're going to say that the A's are going to win. That's that's better oh. in my book. Yeah, agreed with that. Um, you can find us on Twitter at tipping underscore pitches. You can email us at tippingpitchespod at gmail.com if you search tipping pitches in your favorite podcast app you can hopefully rate and review us if you feel strongly enough Alex do you have anything any other conspiracy theories maybe related to the podcast that you can leave people with as we as we exit I guess my podcast related conspiracy theory is that we're both the same person that this podcast is just run by one person although i think we've established by now that (laughs) we've established by now that that's basically true so i don't (laughs) think it's true (laughs) no but if you the listener have a conspiracy theory either about real baseball or about the legitimacy of our um, dual person podcast please send them our way uh i know that we miss some theories out there that are bouncing around and and we'd love to hear them from you you missed a golden opportunity to suggest that uh i cut out all of your good takes on this podcast and leave you hung out to dry but uh (laughs) i don't do that i leave all the good stuff in and take all the bad stuff out and we hope that you enjoy that we will see you next week thanks y'all Here's my favorite conspiracy theory. You ready? Yeah. The Wilpons were running the pyramid scheme and they let Bernie Madoff take the fall. Really, Fred and Jeff Wilpon were pulling the strings and they made it seem like they were 
they were the victims of this Ponzi scheme. But in reality, all of the bad karma that's happened to the Mets over the last 15 years is because Fred and Jeff Wilpon threw Bernie Madoff under the bus. That's my take. <laughs> what do you rank that one out of 10? I just thought of that in the last 15 minutes. Yeah, that's a definite 10 for me. I, I 100% believe that. Can't relate to joy. He tries to speak.